Last week, I actually flew back to Wyoming uh, to spend a few days with some family, with my dad and, in Jackson Hole. And um, to me, I know some of you travel a lot and you're in airports a lot, but, um, and, and I was thinking, man, could they make this more stressful for us <laughs> as, as travelers? But um, to me, one of the most interesting parts of walking through a crowded airport is getting to see all sorts of different people. Um, you know, when you actually have time, when you get a, a, that's one good way of looking at a plane delay. I get to people watch a little bit. Well, you know, it really is fascinating to see all the different types of people, different colors of skin, different styles of dress, different languages that you hear, different ages, and, and so forth. And, and it is exciting to remember as a Christian that the message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is for every type of person. As you look at that, it's like, man, Jesus wants all of them. They're, they're, I mean, they're, all of these different types of people are Jesus died for. And it, God is not partial to any race or ethnicity. Okay. <laughs> Jesus died on the cross to save sinners from all people groups on earth. This is the message from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. And this was God's plan since before the creation of the world. I think sometimes as we're reading the Old Testament, we see this focus just on the Jewish nation, and we're like, oh, these are, you know, yes, God worked uh, through the Jewish nation. He gave us the word and, and the Savior through the Jewish nation. But before Jesus ever lived on earth, before the foundation of the world, God's plan was to have a people of all peoples for himself, okay? His Holy Spirit's spoke these words 700 years through Isaiah, uh, 700 years before Jesus ever came through the prophet Isaiah. Let's read this. Isaiah 56, 1 to 8 says, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for, my, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be, uh, be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Now we've already seen how some of this has already been played out in the book of Acts. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument in a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Jesus repeats that, right? The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. And so we have known for thousands of years that God loves all peoples, that he offers salvation to all peoples. And so why have we as a human race so often pushed against God's desire for racial diversity? 
Well, God tells us in his word that, that our broken human relationships are a direct result of our broken relationship with him. See that? Your relationship with other people is directly connected to your relationship with God. And the, the wickedness of sin has tempted us to believe we are more valuable or less valuable because of the color of our skin or because of the community in which we were born. But as we've been reading through the book of Acts and as we've watched the, the gospel kingdom of God advance to all peoples in the book of Acts, we've seen that the, the gospel not only reconciles different types of people to God, but it's actually reconciling different types of people to one another on earth. People's race, their gender, their, their social class is no longer the defining part of their personhood. Do you hear that? The most important part about these Christians is that they've been loved by God and adopted into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the defining characteristic. So this morning we're going to look at a critical moment in the early church when the issue of racism came to a head. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Before we read this, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that we get to be here together. We thank you for the life and forgiveness and salvation that you give to us in Jesus. Thank you for your grace, which reaches us right where we're at, uh, which blesses us, even though we don't deserve it, uh, which transforms our lives and transforms our futures for good. And we just ask that you would use your word today, Lord, which you say is living and active and breathed out by you. Use it by the power of your spirit to make our hearts beat for the things that you love. Please grant us repentance from, from evil actions, evil words, evil patterns of thinking that do not reflect your heart, God. And we just ask that we guard our hearts and minds now in Christ Jesus. Amen. Okay, so Acts 10. This is a long narrative. But by the way, this narrative, which actually is Acts 10, 1 through chapter 11, verse 18, is the longest story or narrative in Acts. And we're going to look at it in two sermons, part one today. But uh, we'll start here at Acts 10, uh, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, uh, who had spoke to him, had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So let's stop there. So 
just setting the context here, in the first century, this town, I know we've, it seems like we've hit a lot of different towns, but I want you to think about the Mediterranean Sea, okay? And I want you to think about the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And Caesarea was a town right on the east coast, and it's still there today, okay? But in the first century, it was a very important port city, um, and it was a very important city for the Roman Empire, which ruled most of, right, you had Europe and Middle East and Africa. Rome was all over it, okay? Caesarea was the headquarters in the country of Israel for all of the Roman soldiers working in Israel, okay? This was the administrative center for the Roman Empire in Israel. So there were lots of important leaders who lived in Caesarea. And one of those important leaders was this guy, Cornelius, and it says he was a Roman centurion. He was in the Roman army, Okay, think about the movie Gladiator, okay? Think about these soldiers. This was a guy who oversaw a hundred soldiers. He was important. And interestingly, he was not a polytheist. A polytheist is, is somebody who believes in many gods. Most of the Roman Empire was polytheistic, right? They b- believed in gods of Jupiter and Mars and Apollo and most of the planets you can think of. Um, but Cornelius, interestingly, was a monotheist. See, he only believed that there's one God, and he only worshiped one God, and he believed that that God was the God of the Jews. And he was not a, a casual worshiper of the Lord. That's not what this says. He, the, 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 the writer Luke here goes out of his way to tell us this guy was devout. He, he was devout to the Lord. He, he led his family, it says, to be devout to the Lord. He, he followed the Jewish disciplines of giving money to the poor, and praying to God throughout the day. And he was not a a full convert to Judaism, though, which is interesting. Um, He was not circumcised, but in his heart, he was a Jew because he loved the Lord. And his love for the Lord displayed itself here through the way that he lived and through the way that he treated others. Well, one day at about three in the afternoon, right, he's devout, he's praying to the Lord, and the Lord appears to him in a vision with an angel. And like we see all throughout scripture, whenever an angel shows up, people are freaked out, right? Um, Cornelius is terrified by the angel. And he said, what do you want, Lord? So he knows it's, it's the angel of the Lord. And God answers him. He says this, Cornelius, I've heard your prayers. And I've seen the way that you love others in my name. And your faithfulness has made me remember you. So send some men over to this town called Joppa. There's a man named Peter staying there, a man you've heard of, Peter the Apostle. He's staying with the tanner named Simon. Send, send some men, go get Peter, bring him back to Caesarea. And so Cornelius does what God says. He, he calls two, it says two of his attending servants and one of his most trustworthy soldiers. He tells these three what to do. He sends them off to Joppa. Now, remember this. We've got to get this through our heads. Cornelius and his servants and the soldier are Gentiles, okay? Which means they were, Gentile basically means you're not Jewish. And Cornelius is sending them to retrieve Peter, the Jew, right? And so there's gonna be, it's, it sets us up here for a little bit of a conflict of races and cultures here when you understand the strong division that there was between Jews and Gentiles. See, the, le- the leaders of the Jewish people 
um, had added many laws to the Jewish scriptures. It wasn't like everybody had a copy of the Bible they could read and say, oh, well, this rabbi's telling me wrong. It's like, no, the leaders had the scripture, and what we tell you goes. That's how it worked. And so they had added extra books in addition to the scripture, like the Talmud, and they told the Jews to follow these man-made laws, even though God had not given them these man-made laws. And in some ways, I would think that maybe it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't intended to be malicious, but to, you know, the idea is, you know, you get a question like, you know, how do we keep the Sabbath holy? Well, it must mean that you, you can, you can't walk so far or else that would be work on the Sabbath. And so let's just say, well, you can't take 50 steps or whatever the rule was. But there were very strict rules about how far you could walk, um, what you could do. And what happened is it just became a huge burden on people. And they lost the whole sight of God's love for them. It was more like, oh, okay, so I have to jump through all these hoops and then I know God loves me. And that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is we're accepted through faith in God and Jesus Christ. Therefore, we want to obey him. We desire to obey him. He, he's changing our hearts into hearts that want to obey him. Okay, so one of these man-made laws commanded Jews do not have anything to do with Gentiles. That's basically where, where it landed. Is we, we know this, right? Obviously, God had commanded the Jews to do, like, um, to do things differently, very specific rules, right? To set them apart from other nations. He said, you're people for, for me. But the problem is the people took it a step too far, right? And essentially, they, the Jewish leaders taught the Jews that everybody else was inferior, that they are common people, they are unclean people, the Gentiles are inferior. Don't talk to them, don't touch them, don't eat with them, do not let them inside your house. They dehumanized the Gentiles. And so we got this radical division in place, and now it's interesting, what is God doing here? Well. How, how's Peter going to interact with Cornelius' messengers? He's not allowed to let him into his house. He's not supposed to talk to him. Right? Well, before they met each other, God is working in Peter over in Joppa. And just like he gave a vision to uh, Cornelius, he now gives Peter a vision. Okay, let's read this. Acts 10, 9 to 16. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Okay, so in this vision, God's revealing something radical. It's radical to Peter. But as we already saw in Isaiah's prophecy from 700 years earlier, this was all part of God's plan from the beginning. What God is doing is he's breaking down the wall of hostility and division between the Jews and the Gentiles. 
And for a thousand years now, God had told the Jews not to eat certain types of animals in order to separate themselves from the practice of the Gentiles. That's true. But now that Jesus has come, God is creating for himself a new spiritual church made of Jews and Gentiles. And God is repealing parts of the Jewish ceremonial law that had separated the Jews and the Gentiles. And and, and God showed Peter this three times. I mean, this is like, God's like making it very clear to Peter. He wants to show Peter, I'm not joking. This is clear. I'm directing you to eat all the foods that the Gentiles eat. So cultural, racial, ethnic barriers would no longer have a place among God's people. Hear that? Cultural, racial, ethnic barriers do not have a place among God's people. Let's keep reading verses 17 to 23. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, and they called out to to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Okay, so, so these three Gentile men, they're waiting outside Simon the Tanner's gate. They call out for this Jewish man named Peter, the apostle Peter. And at that moment, when they're doing that, the Holy Spirit tells Peter, it says, go talk to these Gentiles. Go associate with them and go with them. And so Peter comes to the front gate of the house. He talks to the men, and they tell him that the Lord had spoken to Cornelius, their master, who was a God-fearing man, and the Lord told Cornelius to send for Peter. And now Peter does something radical. He invites these three Gentile men into his house to be his guests. And he lets them stay with him at Simon the Tanner's house. We have to understand, devout Jews did not do this. Right? As the, as the head of the, and this isn't just some person. This is Peter, the head of the apostles, the head of the church. Peter was beginning to lead the way in breaking racial barriers among Christians and among Christians and non Christians. Okay, let's keep reading in verse 23 to 24. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. And Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Okay, stop there. Why had Cornelius gathered together his relatives and close friends to await Peter's arrival? Okay, partially it was because this. Peter was known, okay? You don't heal people and raise people from the dead and not be known, okay? Peter was known. They'd heard he was coming to their house, but this is the thing, even more than that, we read later in Acts 11, verse 14, that Cornelius says that the Lord told him, Peter will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So God had told Cornelius, Peter, 
This guy, he's coming to tell you good news that will save you and all of your household. So can you imagine this? Can you imagine how anxious Cornelius must have been to see Peter? God has given, think about this. He's, he's not going to say, he doesn't say this. Uh, this guy's going to come give you a message by which you may be saved. He says, he's going to come give you a message by which you will be saved. God's given Cornelius assurance that he will definitely be saved and that his salvation will come as a result of this message that Peter's going to tell him. So, man, Cornelius is like, man, come on, family, friends. We gotta, we're sitting on pins and needles. Let's get together. Peter's going to be here soon. Okay, verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up. I, too, am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened up his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So, so the, the message that Peter had for Cornelius and his household, by which they would be saved, is the gospel of Jesus. This is the way Peter concisely puts the gospel. You, you see other s summaries like 1 Corinthians 15 by Paul. This is the good news of what Jesus did to save sinners, to give them peace with himself, with God. And Cornelius and all his Gentile relatives had is he, 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 this is interesting. It says, he, he, I know you've heard about Jesus, right? That's an interesting thing. 
there's just interesting historical components for us to think about through here that they had heard about Jesus' death and resurrection. And what I mean, I'm, I shouldn't go off on a tangent here, but apologetically, some people will try to make the argument, Jesus, Peter, these guys didn't d- exist. They didn't, uh, they didn't, uh, they weren't who they, they said they were. This didn't happen. The problem is history is against you. Not only biblical history, but extra biblical history from everything we have from the, from the first century. And part of that is the fact that when you raise dead people, it's hard to hide it, right? And when the, the leader of everybody raises from the dead and you can't find his body, that's a problem, okay? So what Peter says to these Gentiles is, he says, I know you've already heard about Jesus, and I'm telling you this, everything you've heard is true. Jesus of Nazareth is God's son, whom God the Father anointed with the Holy Spirit. And he was filled with, with God, uh, with the power of God. And he did go around doing good to everybody and healing people who were oppressed by the devil. And many of us were eyewitnesses to this. This isn't just hearsay. We saw it. And then we saw the Jews and the Romans hang Jesus on a tree. They crucified him just like he said they would and just like our prophets said they would. But the Father raised Jesus up on the third day and then Jesus appeared to many of us. And not only that, but this Jesus who had been crucified and slaughtered rose in glory and we ate with him and drank with him three days later or a few days later, whenever they saw him. And then Jesus commanded us, right? He gives them a mission. Go preach to the people and testify that God the Father has made Jesus the judge of all humanity, the living and the dead. That would put some fear into your heart if you were a Roman soldier, right? Or one of the, the Jews who had hung, or hung him on the cross. Okay, the guy you just slaughtered, he's the judge. He's the one you have to answer to now. Good luck. Um, He says this, all our ancient Jewish prophecies bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through Jesus' name. Wow. And the good news of Jesus, you guys, it has not changed since the day that Peter spoke these words. And if ever you're in any church or any institution or with any group of people who says it has changed, leave them. We're blessed to have the Bible in our hands where we get to read the gospel. If you trust in Jesus' death for you and in his resurrection from the dead, you will be forgiven and saved from sin. Praise God. And then just as God had promised Cornelius and his household did believe this message, God forgave them of sin and gave them eternal life. And this was the first group conversion of Gentiles to Christianity. And it was a huge deal because this, wasn't, this whole thing, obviously, was not manufactured by people. God's sovereignty is all over this thing, right? This was God bringing his international, multiracial salvation plan one step closer to completion. And then, just as God the Holy Spirit fell upon the Jewish Christians on the day of Pentecost, he does the same thing here to the Gentiles, Verse 44 says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, 
Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So the Holy Spirit fell on these believing Gentiles and they started speaking in tongues just like the believing Jews had. Now it's important, Peter was at that first uh, Pentecost, right? The Spirit fell. Peter was on the Samaritan Pentecost, was at the Samaritan Pentecost, and now Peter's here at the Gentile Pentecost. One of the reasons that's important is because he's the head. He's the head of the apostles. He's representing the body of Christ. And the Jewish Christians here are just watching these Gentile Christians speak in tongues, and they're blown away because this, you couldn't make it up. This was not the work of men. This was the work of God. And God was moving in a new, powerful way to save and to indwell Gentiles. Peter, he sees this, how God, God is the one doing this thing. He's orchestrating all these events in order to expand the kingdom to the end of the earth. And what does he say? Let's baptize them. That's the visible symbol of being united to Jesus. This is a big step in the church because this is no longer an ordinance separating peoples. He's saying, he says, well, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. What matters is, do you trust in Jesus? So be baptized in the name of Jesus if you trust in Jesus. And then afterward, these new believers, these, these Gentile Christians, asked Peter to stay with them, and he did. See that? Before, he invites the Gentiles in, and now the Gentiles invite him in, and he stays. This is big, uh, you have to understand, this is a big theological change for Peter, which he would continue to wrestle with, and this is a big cultural barrier, which was uncomfortable for him, right? And which he's gonna take some slack for next week, we'll see. But Peter, who, who, who just a few days earlier, he would not t- touch these people or talk to them or eat with them or welcome them, is now staying as a friend of Gentiles. And he has this new paradigm for what it means to follow Jesus with the church. That Christianity was never intended to be a Jewish sect. Christianity was for all peoples of the earth. And we could draw a lot of applications from this passage, but I'm just going to share three. And like I said, we're going to read the rest of the story next week, and then we'll draw out some more applications. First, this is an obvious application, but it is very, very important. I think God really wants us to get this that Jesus died and rose again to save people from all peoples of the earth. What this means is that Jesus' church is an international church. Just as Peter says in this passage, God shows no partiality toward one race or ethnic group. The gospel of Jesus is for people in every nation and from every nation. Jesus is the Lord. What does it say in that passage? He's the Lord of all peoples. And so Jesus builds up his church as he breaks down racial barriers. This is probably one of the best concise statements of what's happening here. In Ephesians 2, 14 to 16, it says, For he, Jesus, himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances 
that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So because of the reconciliation with God and with one another that we have in Jesus, this is what we're called to have in the church, a racial harmony that is unparalleled. A racial harmony that is unparalleled. He's not, this is important. God is not saying that race and ethnic identity are unimportant. God is saying that when Jesus Christ made us born again through faith and united us to himself, he made us brothers and sisters with people from all races and all ethnicities who trust in him. Okay. And so when you see a black man or Hispanic man or a Middle Eastern man or an Asian man or a white man, if you got the Holy Spirit in you, you must fight against racial prejudices within your flesh that you've been taught maybe or that would prevent you from desiring to see that person forgiven and to know Jesus Christ. Jesus commands us to preach his gospel to all peoples, not just to people who look like us. And additionally, Jesus, he not only breaks down racial barriers, that's going on, but also he unites us into his body. He grafts us in. And, and God wants us to be united as his church. And just like we see in this passage, God gives us what? There's one gospel. There's one Savior here. There's one Holy Spirit here. And there's one baptism here. So Jesus' <clears throat> church is not merely this uh, conglomeration of parts. It's more than that. It's this intricately woven body of unique parts that are each valuable and each important to the health of the rest of the body. I don't know how familiar you are with other religions or with other areas of the world, but it's very important to know that in Christianity there are no social castes. There are not slaves and slave owners. I mean, this is a radical gospel that you're seeing in Acts 2 to here. There are not rich Christians or poor Christians. There's not upper class and middle class. Lower, you sit up here. Middle, upper, you sit up here. This is how the ancient world was, and this is how much of our world is, right? This is very different from many religions of the world where followers do have different statuses. They do have different levels of enlightenment depending on their own merits or piety. But in Jesus, we are all on equal footing before the cross. I had a cool experience. I wasn't expecting this, but this past month, I was only, I was in Jackson Hole just for a few days, but I went to, I have a friend who works at a church there, and I just dropped by because I knew they had a Monday night service, and I was like, I'll see what, see what they're doing. And uh, man, it was such a cool picture of the diversity of the body of Christ in this little church. I mean, we were meeting in a little room, like, I can't remember. I mean, maybe a little smaller than our fellowship hall. Was, there was maybe 30 of us there, and I got to talk to the lead pastor for a few minutes, and he was just telling me about this cool ministry that they do on Monday nights, and he said, you know, you know what's cool? In this room right now, we have homeless people sitting around you. There are homeless people, and there are billionaires. I'm like, billionaires sitting around me. Well, right? But this is the thing. 
we all came together for the same reason. We came to worship Jesus and to hear the gospel preached. That's why, man, normally on my vacations, I don't always feel like going to church because sometimes I want to shut my brain off. But this time, I just needed to worship for myself and not have to worry about a sermon or anything I was doing that day. So I said, I just want to go. I need the gospel preached to me. And I need to worship Jesus. And the man who happened to preach was from Romania. And he said, um, which is just so cool how God guides all this, that I happen to be preaching on this passage. <clears throat> and he said, if you don't mind, I'm going to preach in Romanian because I don't feel comfortable preaching in English. It's just easier for me to preach, preach in Romanian. And thankfully, he had an interpreter. Um, <clears throat> and <laughs> his wife did a great job. But it was just a really cool experience. I mean, I'm just in this little town. I happened to drop in on this church. I wasn't planning on it. I'm with a culturally, a social caste, social system-wise, a diverse group of people, racially diverse group of people. And here I am, it's like, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't that so cool? The connection that you can have so quickly with those who love the Lord. And um, it was just a, a, a great experience for me, just man, experiencing unity. And I know that people feel that when they come here, too, or other places. It's like, I, man, if you ever run into a stranger at the airport or something and, and they're a believer, it's like, boom. It's like, I could talk to you, you know? Easier, easier than somebody I might not have any other um, similarities with. But thinking about this, I was thinking, okay, how does this pertain to this passage and what we're doing? Well, I would encourage you, um, <clears throat> you know, the elders are leading church-wide prayer gathering once a quarter. And the next one we have is October 23rd. And one of the purposes of that time that we want to do is we want to spend time praying. I mean, probably we'll get in groups and give each group, one of the things we'll do is each one of you will get a different people group who do not have access to the gospel yet. We just want to spend a few time, minutes praying for these people groups. Um, praying that God would break in like he broke into our lives and our culture and that he would, he would save them and that they would bring glory to his name. Um, that's on the 23rd. But the first point here of application, the big idea I want you to get is that Jesus died and rose again to save people from all peoples of the earth. Okay, I gotta throw in one weird illustration. I wasn't planning on this real quick. Um, so I took this perspectives on, on missions. World, it was last, I can't remember, last spring or something. <clears throat> Basically a three-hour class, 16-week-long class to learn what's happening in world missions, how is the gospel advancing, what's the latest status of unreached people groups, all that kind of stuff. But you guys know this more than I do probably in some ways because some of you, I, mean, I don't, there's more diversity around us than we realize that I'm always aware of. But I was talking to this guy who works in Marysville at that class and he said, I've got two employees where I work of a certain religion. Um, no, excuse me. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, let me think real quick. Yes, same religion. They work at this place. They are not allowed to talk to each other because they're different castes. He's like, it is bizarre for me to work with these people. These are, these are you know, supposed to be united in the, their faith, and they can't even talk to each other uh, because it's socially, you know, not allowable. And I'm just like, man, it's a big deal what Jesus has done for us. <laughs> it is a big deal. And it's not an ancient thing. It's like God wants to break into the hostility and 
racial barriers that we have today. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this church, and I'm thankful for the ways that he works in us. But there's no doubt, man, none of us ever conquer sin totally in this life. We have to fight prejudices of all sorts of different types in our lives. Okay. Second application is this, an important one, <laughs> that human traditions do not have the same authority as God's word. Human traditions do not have the same authority as God's word. This is one of the key resolutions that came out of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. The, <clears throat> because basically, Christianity was having an identity crisis, you could say. We had to figure out what do we believe. Well, we do not believe that one man or one class of people or one institution has the authority to add to or to remove from God's word. That was a big one. And the Bible says that, but it's like we had to rehash it out in our culture. Instead, we believe this, that God's word, the Bible, is our highest authority for life and faith because the Bible is the breathed out message of God who is our highest authority. That's why the Bible is a big deal. A key reason why the Jews were prejudiced against other races was not just because they were you know, following God's word or, or that they were following incorrectly, but because they were following the Talmud. And there were explicit verses in the Talmud that said, cursed be anybody who, who uh, associates with a tanner. Simon the tanner and Peter. I mean, you see these things. It's like, ugh. Jesus, look at who he talked to mostly when he was here. He was outraged by the way that the religious leaders had prioritized the traditions of men above God's word. And today, we Christians, we gotta be careful not to do the same thing. And obviously, we shouldn't follow any traditions that uh, we feel contradict God's word. But additionally, we must not fiercely hold on to our traditions in a way that reveals that we believe our traditions are just as sacred as God's word. Hear that? <clears throat> just as communities and churches, uh, just as communities change through the years, so churches change through the years. And so that means that our methods to reach the lost and to reach our own people might need to change. And that means that no church program or ministry is above rem revision or removal. No style of worship that falls within the bounds of scripture is inherently wrong or right. Much of it is simple, simple it is a personal preference. And we all have preferences. Right? But it means there's not just one right Bible version and everyone else who uses current trustworthy translations is just wrong. This is why even our church constitution and bylaws are fluid and revisable documents because they're not God's word. Many things about church life through the centuries change and should change in order to reach people for Christ because we have to be missionaries in our culture who reach people for Christ. However, some things will not change. The gospel doesn't change. The word of God doesn't change. And Jesus Christ as the only Lord and Savior of all peoples never changes. And so we've got to be careful 
Because a lot of us have been in churches for a long time and we have fond memories of the way things used to be or, or we come from other churches and like, oh, I remember, I wish we would do things how my other church didn't because I used to be like, well, I hear that, but we've got to be careful to hold our personal preferences loosely and our human traditions loosely and to hold tightly to Jesus and to his gospel and to his word and to the mission that he's given this body at this place in time right now. The third application is this. We need to hear different parts of the gospel at different times in our lives. We need to hear different parts of the gospel at different times in our lives. Um, when Peter preaches the gospel to the Gentiles here, he includes some interesting parts of the gospel that many of us probably wouldn't include. Specifically in Acts 10, 42, Peter says, and he, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. That's part of the gospel, right? It's part of, it's part of the implication of Jesus' death and resurrection. So why in, the world would, <laughs> why in the world would Peter tell these people that Jesus is gonna judge them? That does not sound like good news. Some people might say, well, I thought the gospel was, was about how much God loved me and, and what I have to do to be best friends with Jesus forever. It's part of that, that's part of it, but it's much bigger than that too. And this is a big part of understanding it. The subject of the gospel is not you. The subject of the gospel is not me. The subject of the gospel is Jesus and what he's done and who he is for us. And yeah, we need to hear that Jesus loves us and is for us. I need to hear that a lot. And we need to, I need to hear that there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. But sometimes, as Christians or non-Christians, we need to hear that God's, Jesus is also the judge. And he hates sin. Don't make light of it. That was part of the problem Paul was wrestling with. They, with, it was called antinomians, people who were now against the law, who said, well, if Jesus died for all sin, that means I can do whatever I want now. And Paul's like, you're crazy, you don't get it. Jesus died for you to be holy. He freed you to pursue him now, to be holy. Not to go chase after everything he just, he just, that just filled his body, that he died too. Pursue, pursue Jesus. Um, one day everyone will stand before Jesus and be judged, and, and Jesus... And it, it, you know, we have to take his word seriously that he's going to bring everything done in the darkness to the light. So we should fear Jesus. We should respect Jesus, revere Jesus. There's a time where it's like people, it's like you need to take Jesus seriously, right? And sometimes we need to hear that. We need to hear God loves us even in our sinfulness. Yes, and at the same time, this is part of the gospel too. In the book of 1 John, there's no reason to think that a person who makes a practice of sinning belongs to Jesus. So it's a sober warning, right? And we, we should tremble at the judgment of God if we're rejecting God or if we're living in unrepentant sin. But for those who love Jesus, not somebody who's mastered their sin, and totally gotten rid of it, because we're all gonna, we're all hopefully in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit fighting against sin in our lives. <laughs> We're learning to trust him more and there's no greater news to us that this Jesus who died for me is the judge. Because Jesus, if he's for me, then who could be against me? Nobody. Right? 
Jesus' judge isn't to instill fear in the Christian. Well, you don't know how it's going to turn out. No, it's not the gospel. The judge died for you to declare you not guilty. That's good news. The heart and soul of the gospel is that Jesus is God, that he came to earth, that he lived among us a perfect life, that he took our sin and suffered for it and died in our place, and that he rose over victory. Uh, over death in victory. And everyone who trusts in him is rescued from sin and has eternal life with God now and forever. So, so knowing that and seeing that here, may God help us now to open our mouths, that's what it says he did to Peter, and to, to share that message. And may the Holy Spirit help us to draw out the implications of the gospel for ourselves and for those we interact with. I mean, the gospel of Jesus is powerful. It is the message which saved the Gentiles and the Jews who believed it. It is the good news of God which saves and sanctifies Jesus' people today, too. And so, may we guard the gospel. <laughs> may we guard God's word. And may we keep Christ alone as the object and treasure of our faith. That's what all the nations need to hear. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word and the hope that we have in you. Thank you for reconciling us to the Father, Jesus. And thank you for helping us be reconciled to people from all peoples. And so thankful, God, that my, my uh, quality of faith does not save me, but my quality of my Savior, Jesus, saves me. And that my, my quality of how perfectly I happen to resolve every conflict in my life, that isn't what saves me, but my, my Jesus saves me. <laughs> I thank you for that. We thank you for that, God. And I thank you for this place, God. I just thank you for these people. And um, I know that much of what we've preached on does, is the heartbeat of these people. And at the same time, God, we're not going to be free from sin, the struggle against sin, until we see you. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would rest in this place with these people and in our hearts. Make us, man, just Paul's prayer, make me abounding in love for others. Make that, fill our hearts, God, so that we are abounding in love for one another. And uh, help us just to chew on these truths this week. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would, you know, apply it to our lives and help us see you know, where, where we might need to repent from thought patterns and, and different ways of behaving and the words we say. And then also, God, just use it to encourage us. And just thank you, God, that uh, your word is true and that you are our Savior and you're our hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.